This is Brian Billick. I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coach's Show podcast. Here we go. Man, I, I've never been so proud of a group of guys that, that came together. You know, we know what kind of man we have uh, just down the street in the hospital fighting, fighting for his life and winning the fight. And, and you guys doing this today and pulling together. Bruce coming in, all you guys pulling together, Reggie being so close uh, to Chuck going back for so long. Just the guy, you know, everyone here knows how much that, that this means. And, and, and this ball is going right here. Yeah. 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 Well, Dan, let's talk about the, the number one game everybody seems to be buzzing about, the huge win of the Indianapolis Colts at home versus the Green Bay Packers. So many different storylines here. Let's let's begin with, obviously, everybody's heart goes out to Chuck Pagano, he and his family dealing with leukemia, and what the the curve this threw at his organization. Bruce Arians became the interim head coach. Uh, and, and, boy, to go out with all of that, obviously you knew that they would be very emotional. I had the game for Fox uh, talking with the, the coaches and the players all week long, obviously the emotion they were going to carry into the game. Uh, and to come out with a win against the Green Bay Packers, it was something special to be to see. It really was, and it was a comeback win too. I mean, they right. were down twenty-one to three at halftime, and and you can see that. Hey, first off, did they play an emotional game in the first half? They did. They, they in fact, they might have been too emotional in the first half, and many times that can lead to mistakes. But there's something that they really wanted in the way that they came back, very methodical behind the leadership of the rookie quarterback. You know, Andrew Luck was it was amazing, and you know it's it's part of what pulls teams together. I mean, there there are all these things that go on during the course of a normal week. Then every now and then you have something you know as unfortunate as this, with the coach getting sick and and a very serious very serious illness. Now the team has two choices: they can kind of say, "Well, he's not here," or they can pull together. Most teams really pull together. Guys working together, recognize how much they appreciate each other, and also recognizing how fortunate we are when we do have, you know, our good health. Well, and that's what, when you visit with everybody, you know, it does. It brings that reality back to it. But then there's the business side that says we got to go about our work. And my, going into the game, my concern was, A, just what you said. First, they'd be so emotionally ramped up. And, and you, I don't know that that was the reason, but they didn't look good in the first half. This was kind of a rat killer the first half. It was 21-3. to 3. Green Bay was in total charge of the game. Um, and, and so you could see the effect of that. Then the other part was I was worried about and how they're going to be in the second half. How are they going to be in the fourth quarter? Are they going to be emotionally wrung out because of all the things that happened during the week? And that response in the second half, it was stunning. And we've been there many times. Let's talk about the difficulty of the Packers. You're up 21 to 3. You're in total control of the game. As a coach, you're constantly pushing and prodding. But once it starts to slip a little bit, that little bit of focus, that steely eyed, squinty eyed focus that it takes to compete at this level, once you start to lose it, and the Packers definitely started to lose it, it's hard to reel it back in. Well, it is. And I think that, you know, many times in training camp, you, you'll say, hey, you don't drop the ball. Why? Because dropping the ball will cost you a first down. Dropping the ball will cost you field position. Dropping the ball will force your defense to come back on the field. The Packers had three drops in the second half. And each one of them, what they did, instead of having a first down, 
It was like, oh, that's no big deal. We're up 21 to 3. Okay, that's no big deal. We're up 21 to 10. Each one of those drop balls really added to it. It created a situation where Indianapolis had another chance to come on the field, and, and the Packers had lost their momentum. And so all the, the little things that are so important, the inability to make first downs, run the ball, and, you know, they were okay at protecting the pass, but I think Aaron Rodgers was being forced around a little bit. Yeah, and you're exactly right. The fatigue of, you know, I talked about worrying about the fatigue of the Indianapolis Colts. Green Bay Packers were on the field a long time. Uh, the, the Indianapolis Colts ran 89 plays in a game where the first half they didn't have it a whole lot because right. the offense was playing pretty good. So that defense definitely got worn out. Um, let's let's back up to Indianapolis. Before, I want to move on to, to, to Green Bay a little bit about where they go from here, but let's finish off with Indianapolis. Uh, going forward for them, I mean, Bruce Arians, that was quite a week for him to all of a sudden now have those head coaching duties dropped in your lap. Now, he's been a head coach before, all but 25 years ago with Temple University. Uh, and and to now share those du- duties, and we've both done that, where you're, you're having to orchestrate the game plan but also be the head coach. Uh, you really have to support, rely on your support staff around you. So he's been there before, but going forward now, this is you know just like today. Bruce Arians is is you know what what is he doing? He's doing a million radio shows. He's doing right. a million. Everybody wants to talk about to the new head coach what a great win was for it. That adds another level to where he normally would be moving on to the next game. Let's talk a little bit about the duties that. Bruce Arian now has to perform both as the offensive coordinator and as the head coach. Yeah, and I think what he's done uh, is pretty sure Clyde Christensen is probably taking right. over a little bit more of the hand-holding of Andrew Luck. I mean, the guy that comes and talks to him after every series and talks to him more in practice, I'm sure, talking to him a little bit more in the meetings and so forth, simply because now Bruce has to make sure the defense understands he's got some love for them, too, that he's not just the offensive coordinator now, even though he's calling plays, a lot of guys do that, but he also has to make sure that the defense defense understands that he's he's behind those guys he's giving those guys support what do they need to get better this week is there something that has to happen as far as personnel this week is there something that's happened in game plan preparation and then also they've got to somehow find a way because the good old-fashioned game on Monday night the challenge on Monday for all coaches is if you were playing the next opponent in a Monday night football you should at least watch some of that game now you hardly ever get to watch Monday night football but if the next opponent as this case where Indianapolis will go to New York and the, and play the Jets next week, they should get a feel for how the Jets are playing. The things that don't show up on the video, the emotion that the Jets have, the uh, the kind of energy that the Jets have, the confidence level, those are all things that they're going to need to know that if you know that during the course of a game, it's better off. So he's going to have to get a peek of that too. So he's got a very busy Monday schedule. Yeah, and Bruce Arians after the game said this was emotionally the biggest win of his career. And this is a guy that's won a Super Bowl. So – I think that's symbolic also of his team. One of the jobs he's going to have to do and be very focused on is, okay, we got to move past this big win now. As you know, you know, you, you let the players have Monday and Tuesday because that's their time. Coaches, you got to move on very quickly. Right. Well, if he's true to his word, and of course Bruce would be, uh, this is the biggest emotional win of your career. You got to move on very quickly and come back Wednesday. You got to go back to square one and say, "Okay, we, we've got to move on." Because you're right; they're going to play a New York Jets team. When you look at their schedule after that, they've got Cleveland, Tennessee, Miami, and Jacksonville. 
and that's not, not saying being disrespectful to those teams, but that's a pretty good run there, that if indeed they can get this stride, if somehow they can maybe get a win in New York, they've got a chance to get a pretty decent run here. Well, they're going to be favored in all five of those next games. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, yeah. so I think – and and one thing we know is Coach Pagano's not going to be back. I mean, you know, he's under intense, intense – treatment right now and they think that intense treatment is going to be four to six weeks but even when that's over and they all very optimistic that things are going to work out the right way he still will not have the energy to come back so they're saying he's not going to coach at all this year so now they have to get into okay this is our routine coach is going to be with us all the time he's going to be sending us emails he's going to talk to different guys on the phone all that stuff is great but he's got to fight his battle we've got to support him in fighting his battle but we've got to say this are the guys that we're going to have to go to war with right now right and for bruce arians at some point he's going to be very respectful of chuck and he's going to obviously draw on his experiences and what chuck wants to do but at the end of the day bruce has got to do what he thinks is right right whether it's practice structure whatever they're doing because he's the head coach he has that obligation right Right. now so that you know that adds the next dimension let's talk about green bay a little bit um it's hard and i'm at the game it's hard for me to put the finger on this because when you look at green bay you can see the asset they have. Aaron Rodgers still, for my money, is the best quarterback in the game. The receiving core they have, they are banged up a little bit. When With Cedric Benson now, they, they added dimension. They were running the ball pretty good. Mm. You keep that light box because you've got to get passive to take on all these wide receivers. Greg Minuski, the defensive coordinator in Indianapolis, said, oddly enough, his number one concern was them holding up defensively in a light box a light number count against their run because he knew what he was going to have to do in the secondary. He has a beat-up secondary. Vontae Davis didn't play. Justin King didn't play. So he was playing with some backups to backups in the secondary, so you knew he was going to have to do some things against this talented Green Bay receiving core. So he was going to have to give them that light box a lot, and Green Bay took advantage of it. In the first half, it was 21-3. to This thing looked like it was going to be a 35-7 to or a 35-10 to rat killer, and then obviously it turned in the second half. And so I don't it, it watching the game I've been asked well what what was the turning point in the game I don't know if I could put my finger on one play you could just tell in the second half, Green Bay was emotionally couldn't get it cranked back up. Right. I thought it was a drop pass, as I mentioned that earlier, because those are the first down stoppers. But then I've just not been sold on Green Bay's defense this year. I, I think that, you know, in looking at that carefully, that game carefully against uh, New Orleans, you know, where they were very fortunate to win, I just don't think they have enough firepower, big plays. They, they look pretty impressive against very weak offensive opponents. I know they've been heavy on the sacks against very weak offensive opponents, but I I think against the good teams, I don't think they're, they can apply the kind of pressure they should, and I don't think that they're there in the secondary. Uh, Green Bay statistically is better than they were last year, but I agree with you. Um, plus, also, they're not getting the turnovers. Uh, they're not creating the, generating the turnovers they did in, in uh, uh, 2010, obviously, uh, w- when they had the great run and, and the championship. And even last year, even though they struggled statistically, they still had the turnovers and was a big part of, let's remember, they were 15-1. and one. So uh, this is going to be interesting for Green Bay to see where they go next because I don't know – um, again, as, as being right there, it was, okay, what, what does Coach McCarthy need to put his finger on? What he, you've got all the assets there. Certainly the injuries are, are the number one thing he's going to have to address, and that is going to be Jermichael Finley went down in the game, B.J. Raji went down in the game. Um, I think in the offensive line, Jeff Saturday, they talked about this when they gave up the, the, seven, or the eight sacks against uh, uh, Seattle a couple weeks ago. They said half of them came off communication errors. Jeff Saturday, who's been in a certain style of offense, 
for his entire career now is in the West Coast verbiage that we're very familiar with and the offensive line calls. And so there's a lot going on in there that still has to be obviously addressed, although pressure was not necessarily an issue, even with Dwight Frane and Mathis coming off the edge. Uh, what Rodgers, until late in the game, when the, it was the interior rush that got to him, uh, wasn't that much of a factor. And defensively, you know, they've got the pieces in pay, place. Uh, Charles Woodson's going into safety, so he's making a transition there. They've got the good rush coming with Clay Matthews. And uh, so I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, I feel it's kind of empty, but I don't, I don't know what I can put my finger on to say this is what Green Bay's got to do going forward. Yeah, well, you know, I think the big thing has got to be they have to just tighten up and, and make sure they finish the game. And I thought they were a little bit casual. Yes, I mean, I, you yes. know, not, and maybe that's a product of the twenty-one-three halftime lead. But you know, the balls that they missed, you know, I thought they were a little bit casual. I thought they were a little confident, and you know, they've had their backside kissed an awful lot. You know, you go fifteen-one and don't get it. It's like, hey, the next year we'll go fifteen-one and we will get it. Well, not necessarily so, and and so I think that's probably their their biggest problem. But they've got you know some tough games coming up, oh, and they're going to have they got to Houston. Yeah, wow. and you know, Houston's going to, of course, play tonight. That's going to be a huge game with Houston. Play playing the Jets and the first time for Houston to be on national television to establish, you know, what kind of what kind of big time team that they are and how they're going to play and how they're going to establish themselves as being a great football team. And, and so then they come back and play St. Louis and Jacksonville, which again is manageable. Then they got to play Arizona and Detroit uh, and then New York and Minnesota. So, you know, the, 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 the NFC North is going to be interesting. Minnesota is for real. Can they maintain it? We'll find out. Chicago, we know. Uh, is solid, but they could fall back as well. Detroit is a legitimate football team, but they're struggling right now. So this this division is certainly it's going to stay within reach, I think, for them. But they've got to find that that emotional level that you're talking about because they clearly lost it in the second half. Yeah, it's hard to do it two years in a row, though. I mean, fifteen fifteen and one coming yeah. off a Super Bowl championship year. I mean, it looked like they had the dynasty thing going. That's a terrible word to use, oh, but it looked that way. I mean, it really did. It looked like Aaron that everything. That was that was talked about as far as Aaron Rodgers replacing Brett Favre. Was the last time you think they talked about Brett Favre in Green Bay? I mean, it looked like everything was coming up roses for him, and now not so much. Vic in the gun, Stanley Havili to his right. Vic back. It's a quarterback draw. He drives. He fumbles the football. It's going to be a turnover, a touchback. Steelers are on it. Well, let's move on to uh, uh, another game that was the quote-unquote must game. I always love that term. I, you know, you and I have been at this a long time, and I understand the focus of certain games. It's the outcome that becomes more uh, uh, clear-cut. But I've never played in a game that it was, hey, it's okay if we lose this game. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're okay. Because even when you get down to the end of the season and you know, okay, you've got to win this game to go to the playoffs or to stay eligible, well, that doesn't make – if you'd have won the game in September – that was a must game, you wouldn't be in this position. So they're all must game. But Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh was reeling a little bit. This was a big game that they needed to play well. They played at home, and and by playing well at home, they got some bodies back. They got Mendenhall back. They got uh, uh, James Harrison back. They got Palomalo back, although it looked like he pulled up on his calf again. And you saw for the first time the complete Pittsburgh team that looked pretty good. Yeah, it did. And I think that that's really where the problem kicks in on Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia, yes, they're 3-2. and But, man, it isn't a very pretty 3-2. and And I think that they've got issues with turning the ball over. And when you 
go on the road and you're playing at Pittsburgh, a cross-state rival, and this is a huge game for you, you've got a chance to be 4-1. Boy, you have to play with a real strong sense of urgency, and I did not see that out, out of Philadelphia. I didn't, I didn't feel that they had that strong sense of urgency, and, and Pittsburgh came back and caught them. And, and they caught them because, as I've said many times, it's hard to win a game when you only score 16 points. I mean, you can win them. But if that's the best you can do, then you're you're going to pretty much be in jeopardy, and, and that's what happened. That was the surprising thing to me as I was looking at the game, um, and you look at the, the score and you go, okay, the defense has played pretty well. Uh, I'm talking about Philadelphia yeah. now. But they did not get to Ben Roethlisberger. They did not. And it's hard to get through game and not sack Ben Roethlisberger. Right. I, I mean that respectfully because Ben holds on to it so long, and he'll take those hits. And that's how he makes so many big plays. Uh, and 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 – but he's going to take some sacks just by the nature of the play that he plays. So to not have a sack, to give up 136 yards rushing as well, um, that, you know, so those numbers, that final score with uh, the Steelers winning 16-14, belie the fact that I don't think they played as good defensively as that score would indicate. But, of course, at the end of the day, we got to, you know, it's the turnovers in Michael Vick. How, how does Andy Reid address, A, the turnovers – and how long can he stick with this if Michael Vick continues to turn the ball over? Well, I think when you turn the ball over, sometimes it's a great defensive play. Other times it's careless. And I think that in Michael's case, I think probably he's been a little bit careless. I mean, I think the focus, you run a quarterback draw. I mean, the one thing you know is you're going to remind everybody, okay, now we got to get a touchdown here. We'd be very disappointed if we get a field goal. And we got to get a touchdown. And, uh, you know, let's, let's get this thing in there. And then when you fumble it, then now you not only don't get the touchdown, you don't get the field goal now, on the road against the cross-time rival. And I, I just think that, you know, Michael hasn't protected as much now. He's fumbled 11 times in five games. Now, some of those came off of passing. Some of them came off of him getting ready to hit. And he's got the ball in the passing position. But some of them have come off of carries, too, when he was scrambling and running with the ball. So I, I think that besides a good stern talking to, Besides a talk to that says, hey, these are the circumstances of the game itself, and we can't afford a sack, everybody's got to protect the ball. And that's just a reminder that you go through. But if your quarterback is is going to be that ball carrier who handle the ball as much, you got to really emphasize. I mean, how many times have we see a receiver catch the ball, make a first down, get hit, and then fumble? You know, you can't let that happen. You have to make sure that you have the proper techniques and fundamentals of carrying the football once you are a runner. That ball's got to be placed in a position where it cannot be knocked out, not by a good head, head tackle, not by a helmet, not by a guy grabbing it, not by a guy pulling it, not by a shoulder pad, not anything. And I, I just think that that's the one thing that right now they have not gotten through to Michael on it. Instead of being 4-1, and one, they're a 3-2, and two, and that could cost them later on. And the recurring theme in Philadelphia, of course, is, is LaShawn McCoy. Where, where is, why is he not utilized more? He had 20 touches. In that game, 16 carries, four receptions. That lends itself to what you're talking about, minimize the touches for Michael Vick, and McCoy's got to be a bigger part of the game plan. The Philadelphia Eagles know that. They want LaShawn McCoy involved. Sometimes the game just spins in a certain way, although in this game it's not like this was a, you know, they were down by two scores or three scores like they were against uh, 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 Arizona a couple weeks ago. And now you understand, okay, yeah, we gotta we gotta catch back up. It's hard to run the ball enough when you're down that way. This is a tight game all the way to the end. So so not to not run the ball more, not put the ball more in, in uh LaShawn McCoy's hands a little bit is something that I know Andy Reid is having to address. 
Yeah, he definitely is because he's asked that question all the time too. Right. I mean, when you you know, That's and, a legitimate oh, question. Hey, hey. You know what? I've coached a game once where we fumbled four times in the red zone. It's like, hey guys, you know what? What I should have done is kicked a field goal on first down. If you're going to fumble a damn ball in the red zone, are you kidding me? Right. We, I should have just kicked four field goals on first down and taken the and taken the uh, the sixteen points. You got to be kidding me! But I've, but I've been there and I've seen it happen. And it comes from when you're not recognizing that hey, this ball is really important. This part, and then you never want to fumble the ball, absolutely. But I'm talking about when you really can't fumble the ball, when you really have to make a catch and put the ball away. And I think this was a case in that type of game. Well, and Michael Vick, I mean, and and the interceptions weren't as you know wasn't the real issue this time because there were no interceptions in the game. But Michael Vick has rookie like numbers right now. He's got six touchdowns, six interceptions. You know, you you just that that you, you'd understand that and say, "Oh, that's okay for a rookie," but that's not going to because what's Michael Vick about? That you put up with some of these things because of the big plays, and they're not generating the big plays. Yeah, yes, they are three and two, but um, I, I I told a story in the production meeting about you know because the question that everybody's asking you and I is, well, how long do you stay with Michael Vick? And I remember a Lou Holt story about a told a young man, son, you're not going to throw seven interceptions. And the young man said, Coach, I appreciate your confidence in me. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. Because if you throw six, you're coming out. You're not going in again. And and Andy Reid's getting to the point that we understand what Michael Vick can do. We understand what the personality of the team is. We understand that you're three and two, so you're still in the thick of it. But these turnovers, whether they be interceptions or fumbles, have to change or Andy may do the unthinkable and have to do something with Michael Vick. Right. And you know what? Now, it's going to be a tough week because they're home against Detroit. It's a game that they're expected to win, even though Detroit is not playing like people thought they were going to play. They're still a very dangerous team. And those Philadelphia fans are going to be a little bit rough this week if they turn the ball over early. So Michael, and I, he normally seems to handle the, the you know psychological pressure very well, but this is going to be crucial. I mean, this would not be a week to want to be careless with the ball, turn the ball over, anything along those lines, because I think the fans would be pretty merciless. Yeah, you're right. This would be a good re- week to be on the road yeah. rather than home. Well, they're home. And, and you look at <laughs> Then they got Detroit. Then they're at home and against Atlanta. Then they've got New Orleans, who we always know we saw the other yeah. night. They can always be lethal once they get that thing cranked up, particularly in New Orleans. And then they've got Dallas. So uh, it's an interesting st- stretch for him at a critical time. They have the buy in there after Detroit. So depending on how they play against Detroit, we may see if there's a, ever a time that he has to rethink about some of the things they're doing. It would be that time during the buy. Well, let's talk about. Uh, 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 another game uh, that was was very impressive. Atlanta again, the only undefeated team in the uh, NFC. In the NFC, and 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 they continue, particularly last week and this week. Uh, last week, uh, obviously at home uh, uh, with a come from behind win, and then this week on the road with a come from behind win against the uh, Washington Redskins. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to win, and they could be on a roll here. And obviously, at five and zero, they deserve all the plat pats on the back that that they're coming their way. But they can feel very good about the legitimacy of what this team represents because of the way they've come back. It is, and I think that's crucial. I mean, they do it with the ground game, also. Matt Ryan's playing well. It, 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 you know, they could have lost both of these ball games. Yeah. I mean, they were they were really in jeopardy of losing, and so they look like a team that that's that's playing like, hey, if we get through this rough patch right now, these games where we don't really play a great game, but we play good enough to win. Now, pretty soon, we're going to be able to get ourselves some momentum and start playing like we really have the capability to play. Now, for them, they got it. They they got it good because they're at home. And Oakland comes to town. Right. This is a team that if you want to establish your rhythm, 
and really get uh, yourself playing and playing well and taking care of, as they say, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and getting everything the way you want it, this is the week to do that. And if they're able to do that, then I think they're really going to get a run. But to be sitting 5-0, and the only team in the NFC, because there's some pretty good teams in there who people thought would be in that position, but they're not. I think Atlanta has a chance to really put some distance between themselves and everybody else. And, and they've got a four-gate lead on their division. Let's talk for a second because it, it it just occurs to me in visiting a little bit. You and I shared, you know, a tremendous year in 1998 with when you were the head coach in Minnesota and I was your coordinator. We went 15 and one, and the mentality of that team when things are going well and it went well for us obviously that year and with every week. Let's talk about Mike Smith, the Atlanta Falcons, how he keeps them challenged and focused at the right. task at hand. It's not, you know, the, and, and the little signs to that you've got to watch for are, is your team, you know, it's re, human nature says that, okay, I got this figured out and I don't have to quite be in the training room right. as long as I was the week before and I don't need to quite look as much film. The little things you have to do to keep a team at its peak performance. Well, one thing, I mean, you're always looking to see how the other guys are doing. It's a weak division. I mean, I think the, the NFC South has is, is got just them. And, and then, you know, New Orleans, who maybe could be playing pretty good later on and still has maybe the potential if they can get hot. But I, I think that Atlanta's got themselves out and running. And then with uh, Oakland coming to town, you know, the last games uh, – you know, they weren't blowouts. They weren't big scoring games. They weren't games that were playing like they were playing before. This is where they have to kind of get well. We won, but we don't have to kind of not like the way we did win. You know, we had to come from behind. What are we doing that put us in this situation? What can we do about it? Can we truly be, you know, feel like we're worthy of this 5-0 and record? And you go to work on that this week, and I think that's really crucial. And they're home again, too. So a, a chance for the fans that are really excited about a 5-0 and start for them to say, okay, now you're going to really see our game and get ready to play, you know, your best game. I, I always, when, when you were fortunate enough to be in these situations, as a head coach, I remember always during the course of the week, because nobody wants to not do well, and everybody, you know, it's you know, everybody wants to keep their focus. But I always just really spent a good deal of time finding something during the day that I could go off on. Right? You know, is the is the locker room just a little messier than usual? Did they not bust their trays in the dining hall? Are the tapes not coming off? Are the DVDs not coming off the shelf a little bit? Uh, is there just a little too much? Are guys showing up at the building just a little later? Not late to meetings or workouts, but just showing up a little late. And something that I could find so I could kind of go off on them. Right. Pull that blue vayner to go, okay, so oh, I see. I get it now. We don't have to do those things that we've done to get here. And they knew what I was doing, but something to kind of slap that focus back into, into the proper perspective. What's well, a reminder because it, it is the little things that make a difference. And when things are going well, it's not that's a lot of times that's not when you're doing your best coaching job. A lot of times you're doing your best coaching job when you have to make sure that you're taking advantage of every opportunity. And that's why so often teams that that are riding high get upset because they don't really see the warning signs. And if they did look a little carefully or try to find what's going on, then many times it shows up. So that becomes crucial. So what you were doing at Baltimore, that's a good thing. I mean, that's an idea that the little things count. And all the things we did to get here 
we have to keep doing those things. I mean, otherwise, all of a sudden, you can still be winning, but you're not playing as well. And I think Atlanta is still winning, but I don't think they were playing as well the last two weeks. Not not just because they barely beat Washington, but I think they just haven't played as explosive. They haven't had both Roddy White and Julio both doing real well with Michael Turner going for 140, 150 yards. They haven't won with those type of games, and that's what their potential is offensively. Uh, let's talk about Washington for a second because, again, in that game, we were talking about the hits that Michael Vick takes and turning the ball over. RG3, of course, knocked out of the game with a concussion and now going forward for Washington. It's kind of the dilemma for them. RG3, after the game, got to love our tweet society now, tweeted, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> what RG3's got to understand, it's not up to you. You're going to have to go through the league concussion protocol, which means you're going to be tested. You're going to maybe work out on Wednesday. You're going to be tested again to see how you're doing. That's a dilemma then now for Mike Shanahan because his backup, Kirk Cousins, who came in, uh, actually played pretty well. These are two dramatically different types of athletes. So, and obviously going in and you're going to play a very good Minnesota Viking team right now. What offensive game plan do I focus on? The one that I know RG3 can instrument or right. the one Kirk Cousins is going to have to run? Well, and I think it also, I mean, you know, it's more in the old days. They used to say, you having your headaches? And the guy says, no, anymore. And he says, okay, you're ready to go. Now it's a little, it's a little bit more difficult, you know, than that. And and I I think that, you know, the uh, Minnesota, boy, they're playing good defensively. I mean, I think either one of them are going to have, whether it be RG or Cousins, they're both, either one of those two guys are going to have a little trouble dealing with the, the Vikings defense and then the, the Vikings have their offense and they're working the ball pretty well also but you know if he gets cleared he gets cleared Wednesday but maybe not even you know until Thursday and and now what it means is the touches you know the 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 way they're trying to get the ball of his hands they weren't running the ball as much to describe runs but uh, that were designated to keep the ball. They didn't do as many of that last week. But, you know, what RG's got to recognize is, you know, you get hit, you try to slide um, when you shouldn't because once you get to the numbers, outside the numbers, you go out of bounds. He was outside the numbers, and he still tried to slide, and he was late sliding. But outside the numbers, you get out of bounds, and that's something that he's got to look at and see over and over again how important it is because lost time hurts their team. And and if he has to – he lost time during the game, hurts their team. And if he has to lose more time this coming week, it hurts your team even more. Yeah, and they've got a Washington, or a Minnesota Viking team coming in, Washington does, that um, like you said, they're playing great defense. They're running the ball. They ran for 175 yards against Tennessee. Christian Ponder is playing very smart ball. Now, he did throw two interceptions in this last game, but he's playing for the most part very smart, and they have now so many weapons. You know, they've got uh, 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 Jerome Simpson back into the lineup now after a suspension. He gives them some big plays. Percy Harvin, he's finding Kyle Rudolph, his tight end, a great deal. So that's a, a good multiple package against a, uh, a Washington team that has been injured and has been shown that it's real vulnerable right now. Right. And then you've got Adrian Peterson to run the football, right. and I think he's such an inspiration for those guys. Percy Harvin can fly. I mean, he can fly. Simka's one of the best athletes at wide receiver in the game. That that's quite that's quite a duel there. So they look impressive, and then defensively, obviously they've got some guys that can really apply pressure. Uh, they have an excellent secondary. I mean, this is, this is kind of the surprise four and one team. Not many people saw this because that, but they went three games last year, four yeah, games yeah, or total, something. So total, so they've very, already exceeded. That. Yeah, so very few people saw this coming, but they're but they're legitimate. Yeah, and and even more so when you look at what the Vikings have coming up. Um, 
at a division that's really wide open. And we just talked about the Green Bay Packers and what's going to happen with the Chicago Bears, obviously. But as they come back, they got Washington. They got Arizona, Tampa, Seattle, and Detroit again. So those are all. They've already beaten Detroit on, on the road. And uh, they're going to get Tampa and Arizona at home after they go on the road to Washington. So they've got a nice little run here that they can – then they, they then will play Chicago at Chicago. So right. that obviously is going to be a big game. But, um, you know, Minnesota's do – you know, they're, they're, they're lining this thing up just the way that you'd want to if you're, the Minnesota, if you're a Minnesota Viking fan. It'll be first and goal from the eight. Fells will line up in the slot left side along with Brandon Lloyd. And on first down, toss play that direction to Ridley. Ridley to the five, and Ridley diving for the goal line, and he's in for the touchdown. Stephen Ridley takes it in from eight yards out, and it's 30-7. to seven. New England running away here in Foxborough. Big, big game. You know, a lot of people talking about the Brady versus uh, uh, Peyton Manning matchup. Obviously ended up being uh, a little bit of a one-sided affair. The Patriots... I tell you what jumps out at me, the way they're running the ball now, Danny, I, th- this is uh, beyond Tom Brady, and obviously they'll get Aaron Hernandez back. Uh, the typical, well, Welker's not a f- part of it the first couple of weeks, so you don't focus on him. Well, then you focus on Gretkowski and the other guys. Okay, then I'll go back and throw it to Welker. Mm-hmm. But they're running the ball so well right now. I mean, for them to crank off better than 250 yards rushing, they had two guys over 100 yards rushing again. That's that's incredible. Well, they're really physical in the offensive line. I'm not sure how many of those guys are. And I think three of the of the five basically are, are new starters. They're real physical. They really blast holes in there. And, you know, what they're going with, going with that, that spread and the cutback. I mean, they're getting out there with two tight ends, and they're making them play a balanced front, or they're going with the spread look, and you know, where they're light in the box, only have six guys in the box. And then the offensive linemen are pretty good at getting a hat on a hat and then creating lanes. And, and that comes from being, you know, really physical. So that makes a huge difference because the passing game, of course, with, with Welker and Gronkowski, and they've been really good about it. But it's a running game. I think that is the big difference. Now, Peyton Manning, you know, I think that Peyton is playing solid ball. But, uh, you know, I think they expected a savior. Uh, and I don't think that he could come in and be a savior. In fact, no one can be a savior by itself, by himself. And and Peyton clearly has not done that. Now, they've not uh, – they've been playing the kind of catch-up role. You know, where, where it's wide open. You can throw for a lot of yardage. But the last two games, they haven't had a chance to win. You know, I mean, they were, there was no chance to win. I guess it, it, it made the game look better because they scored a couple touchdowns in the second half. And I think that he picked the ball and found some receivers and so forth. But as far as them having improved enough offensively and defensively, in addition to Peyton Manning, to give them a chance, you know, in a very, again, a very weak <laughs> FC West. Right. FC West is weak. The NFC West is strong. They used right. to the NFC West used to be weak. Now the NFC West is very strong. The AFC West very weak. Yeah, eight, eight and eight could win the AFC West again. Probably will. Asking, and I misspoke. They didn't have two hundred yard rushers. They did that last week. They had two hundred and fifty yards uh, rushing this week with uh, uh, Ridley cranking off one hundred and fifty yards on twenty eight carries. Uh, but you're right. The, the savior of, of of Peyton Manning. Of course, last week Peyton was fine. Looks great now. It's oh, is he okay? Is he throwing the ball? Well, you look. I mean, the guy was. 31 of 44 for 345 and three touchdowns. He looks like he's okay. Right. And when he threw that ball perfectly to Demarius Thomas, who, who ended up fumbling the ball, that had nothing to do with the throw from Peyton Manning. When he threw to uh, uh, Willis McGahee on a fourth and two and hit him perfectly in the hands, he was going to turn that thing up and get a good gash and drop the ball. That wasn't Peyton Manning. 
Uh, and Peyton Manning, like we just said, had nothing to do with giving up 250 yards rushing. So there are more issues for Denver, who at the end of the day, let's remember, was a 500 team last year that had a win in the playoffs. And they figured, okay, we're that good. Now we've got the guy that can really take us to the next level. Well, you still have some of the issues that you had last year that put you at 8-8 eight and eight and likely could put you back at 8-8 eight and eight again this year. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's something they're going to have to deal with. But fortunately, they are a team that is in a division that could uh, maybe 500 wins it. And once you get into the playoffs, like we say, now a Peyton Manning, that's had a full year under his belt, and the guys around him, maybe they can do some damage in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, and they play Monday night football, so there, there's a chance again for Peyton to be on national television, so the ratings will be very up. Going up against Phillip Rivers, who, you know, had a pretty good shootout with Drew Brees yesterday. Phillip threw for, I think, 330 yards, 340 yards. And so, you know, Denver at, at San Diego will be a, a big game because, you know, if they're sitting there right now and Denver is, is looking at – a, a record where they are two and three that they clearly cannot afford to get themselves in at two and four. I mean that would be very discouraging for them. And uh, but at the same sense, you know San Diego's three and two and looking to be four and two. So that's a good game. I think it's a good game for the other guys where the league can look at it and say you've got two quarterbacks that are that are well known that are going to really put up some yardage. Both teams will throw the ball a lot. Probably both teams will probably go for over three hundred fifty yards. And it's going to be interesting to see who's going to pull it out. Yeah, let's let's go to to San Diego. Uh, let's stay in the division. Go to San Diego, and New Orleans got their first win. And of course, everybody's talking about Drew Brees breaking that Johnny Unitas uh, uh, consecutive game, forty eight straight games with a touchdown, which I thought had a chance for. Even though the changing in in the dynamics of how much more we throw the ball now, there are more games being played. Um, I thought of all – and all records get broken, but I thought that's one that had a chance of just hanging out there and not being broken. <laughs> well, that's what makes the game of football so incredible. I mean, you know, think back to – you're talking about back back in the 60s, these guys playing that kind of wide-open passing game. You know, and we look at it now and say, these guys throw the ball a lot and they get their yardage. Well, they do, but they had some pretty good quarterbacks in the old day too, some pretty good receivers, big games, big uh, touchdowns, long touchdowns, a lot of yardage, and I, I just think it's – one of those impressive records that says that even back then when the when the fields were different the circumstances were different that that a guy like Johnny Nice could have that many 47 consecutive games with a touchdown pass yeah it was, it was fun to see and 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 uh, kind of unique they let Sean Payton and uh Mickey Loomis and Joe Vitt back into the building to to experience this what do you think of that did the league was that well, the right thing to do you know what I think the league once again is just you know they have so many rules, and this one was you can come in the building, you can't meet with the players, we're not going to put the jumbotron on you, okay? So the TV was on. They showed the TV right. on, on Sean Payton a lot, but no jumbotron. We don't want the fans getting all hyped up. I don't know. He probably wasn't supposed to stick his head out the window and wave to people either. I don't know because anybody was pointing up there. I mean, it's just a classic case of the league setting some parameters. Uh, being arbitrary, that they, that they said there was a rule they couldn't show up at the stadium, and then they say, okay, this week you can show up at the stadium because you might break a record. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, when do we make change these rules? We change the rules when they're beneficial to the people who are making the rules. And I, I think that there's still this huge issue about, you know, what are we going to do about Jonathan Vilma? You know what I mean? Just kind of hanging and, there. And, and, you know, and so I, I just think that it was, it was unfortunate, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the year will go fast for Peyton, I guess. 
Well, and the game itself played out. You had two offenses, two quarterbacks that really had a great day. And let's remember now, you know, and obviously New Orleans is thrilled to have a win and all the excitement about Breeze. But Phillip Rivers played pretty good. And they were within, you know, they had they had a chance to win that game. And really, if it weren't for a couple drop, you keep going back to your drop passes. You're talking about what it, what it cost you. Um, San Diego had a chance to, to uh, get back into the game. And, and actually take control of the game, but you had some drops there that now you talk about San Diego. They're in that again. We come back to the AFC West and the fact that they're sitting here at 3-2. and two. Yes, they can feel good about being at 3-2, and two, particularly within the division, but now it's going to get very, very interesting as we see the Chargers. You talked about this is kind of a defining game on the two teams when you're talking about San Diego and you're talking about Denver right. that have to, okay, we're, we're going to determine right here. Forget what the records are. We're going to determine right now who really really is the top dog in this division. Well, one thing you could see on television yesterday, and I agree with you on that, the left tackle, Gaither, who who just got back. He had missed games. He was supposed to be a starter. Giant guy. 6'9". Yeah. We, we, we drafted Gaither in Baltimore. 6'9", 360? Huge, huge. Okay. Huge player. He's been had an injured leg, and he played okay, except at the end when the legs are bothering him again. And so he gave up a sack and could not, you know, the replay, of course, I'm a television viewer, the replay, he could not get out of his stance at all. He gave up a sack. And the next play, it's like, hey, I mean, if that happens again, if they don't take him out, you know what I mean? And so what happened? What happened? Well, you know, Gaithers gave one up. Okay, all right. Well, the next play, he gets beat so badly that the the guy was able to come along and easily knock the ball out of Phillip Rivers' hands. So any chance they had of scoring that touchdown was gone because of one player's injury who shouldn't have been on the field at that time. Yeah, and, and we've talked about, obviously, with uh, Norv Turner and uh, – um, uh, Smith, the GM, and the pressure they're under right here and the constant watch. How's this thing going to go? If nothing, it's great drama because it's going to go down to the end. It could very well uh, um, get to the end of the season. And and obviously the heads-to-heads, as the league typically does, uh, San Diego is going to play Oakland to finish the season. Now, I don't think Oakland's going to be a factor, but they finish with at New York, so they have to go West Coast to East Coast, and then they'll play uh, Oakland. So they've got Denver – here on Monday night, and then they're going to come around and they play about the middle of November. Right. So that that this this uh, you know if they can hold serve and beat Denver at home and then go on the road and beat Denver, that could be the deciding fi- factor in a very very tight AFC West. Well, the nine and seven still counts for them because they missed the playoffs the last two years. So Denver did it last year with eight and eight. Uh, you know, if if they can make the playoffs, that might be enough. Now they might need more than that, but that's a start. When you haven't been in the playoffs two years in a row, getting to the playoffs is a big deal for San Diego right now. Yeah, and they they need to they need to keep the running game cranked up. It was good they saw Matthews just a little bit that, but in order to keep that that balance that they've got going, they're not getting quite the same productivity. Uh, ben or uh, Gates, Antonio Gates has kind of not been a factor, even though he has been back and healthy. So San Diego still obviously a work in progress. Let's talk about. I just want to talk about the Thursday night game here on the NFL Network. We've got the Steelers at the Titans. I also want to make mention of to check out NFL.com. I'm going to preview the Steelers and the Titans using the NFL Game Rewind package, where I break down both teams using the All 22 coaches footage. If you've not seen that. 
that. Uh, you want to get this, I promise you. It gives you the opportunity to get all the footage, but you get the broadcast. You also get the condensed broadcast ver- version, which just basically has the actual plays. Uh, and then you can get the coaches' film that you and I grew up on, Denny, right. and the fans get a chance <laughs> to actually break down and see the coaches' film, both sideline and end zone. It's it's a great program for those that have not seen it. That's the NFL Game Rewind p- package that you can go to NFL.com or you can uh, download it on iTunes. Let's talk about the Titans of Pittsburgh. We've already talked about Pittsburgh. They're getting healthy. Titans, uh, you know, obviously with Jake Locker getting hurt, Matt Hasselback comes in, does some good things. They just can't seem to get – uh, the running back cranked up. I mean, I don't know what else they can do. They're, they're trying to get him cranked up, and it just doesn't seem to be there. No, you know, I, I think this this team, there are about three or four teams that don't seem to have that whole, you know, enthusiasm, uh, a plan, uh, a way to go about it. And uh, and Tennessee is, is one of those teams. You know, you feel bad for him because I think that, you know, Ron Rivera's got, got himself a chance to, to make – Mike Munchak. I mean, excuse me, Mike Munchak's uh-huh. got a chance to get it going. And we always felt that Mike would have a, at least a great running attack. You know what I mean? And and, uh, and nobody can quite figure out – you know, Chris Johnson did get 140 a week ago. But, uh, you know, I just think that they can't seem to get going on this. And it's not just, a, I think, a quarterback issue. There were injuries or issues right. in the offseason also. But this is a team that uh, that's going to need to somewhere find a way. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be part of that, that lost season, which is not something, you know, that you want to see. Well, and the difficulty I see for Tennessee is you go into the season – and you say, okay, we, we, we were pretty good with Matt Hasselbeck, but we're going with Jake Locker. Okay, I'm okay with that. And and you know when you're going with that rookie that we're going to fight through this thing, and the real payoff is going to be in 2013 because we're yeah. going to get – maybe we should have done this in his rookie year, but this is going to be his first year. He's now going to have that opportunity. Uh, he has looked decent in playing. He's got better than 60% completions. He's got more touchdowns and interceptions, but now he's hurt. So Matt Hasselbeck will come in. He'll play well. Uh, again, they're only so good as a team. But now, okay, so what are, are we a team? We were going to kind of commit this season to getting better with Jake Locker, right. and we're going to have the big payoff. But now we're not even getting him better. Wh- you know, where are we going? How, what, what's the payoff here for the fans? What's the payoff well, for the I, team? I think it's tough because the reason I got him confused with Carolina because I almost see him the same yes, way. You know, absolutely. they're both one and four. You know, they're they're both, uh, you know, coming out of their south and the AFC and the NFC south, and neither one of them can seem to be able to generate anything. I mean, people look at them as a team that you're going to get an easy one against. They don't have the productivity. Uh, they don't have the consistent quarterback play. And so I think it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, and to play a Pittsburgh Steeler team that if you don't have that running game as a legitimate balance, Matt Hasselbeck knows it, it could be a long day for him with those pressure packages from Dick LeBeau. Uh, I, I'd better get Chris Johnson cranked up. Um, he's, he's had just an occasional flash, but uh, that, that's, this is a hurting football team right now. And to do that on national television at home, that could hurt the psyche of this team a yeah, great and, deal. And Pittsburgh is only 2-2. Two and two. They can't afford to fall further behind. Awaiting the snap from Clint Gresham is John Ryan. Oh, my goodness, high snap. And now Ryan's got to scramble with it. Now he's running, now he's running, and now he runs out of the back of the end zone. So was it a planned safety to take, give Carolina the two points and kick it from further up in the field to drive them further back? Let's talk about uh, an interesting decision. You know, this is the Coach's Show podcast, so let's talk a little bit about a, a coaching decision, which was the right decision, Pete Carroll in the uh, Seattle Seahawks game. Um, he's in a situation in a very tight game, obviously, and, and, and it's interesting. 
we're going to talk about deliberately taking a safety. And when you do that, and as we were talking about it before the show, again, it was the first off, it was the right thing to do. But just how narrow those parameters are, he went, you know, Seattle was playing Carolina. That's a West Coast team going east, so you know it's going to be a tough one anyway. Uh, it's a very close game. No one's really generated much offense. It is 16 to 10 near the end of the game. And he's up by six points. He's backed up. He decides to take a safety. And, again, those would say, well, why would you do that? Because now you're giving them an opportunity to drive the length of the field and win. Well, you got to look at it this way. If I punt out of my end zone, they're that much closer to the end, they're that much closer to a score. I'm going to assume they can make an extra point if they score a touchdown. Right. So I lose the game. Those odds aren't very good. So if I take a safety, I now make it 16 to 12. I'm still up by four. A field goal cannot beat me. Now I get a legitimate kickoff, and now they still have to go now the full distance. Hopefully I can kick off and keep them backed up. Go the, the full distance to get a touchdown, at which point now, yes, I would lose, but the odds are clearly in my favor. And, you know, they ended up fumbling the ball. The Panthers did, so it was a moot point. But Pete Carroll clearly made the right decision. But it's amazing how rare those opportunities come open. Yeah, you have to be six points, number one, because you can't do it if, if you're going to take the safety and then the field goal can tie the game. They've got to be able to score a touchdown. And a touchdown you lose, whether they get a touchdown off of you punting the ball backed up or they get a touchdown from you taking the safety, they're going, you're going to lose. I think the big thing, you know, when you punt from backed up, that is like a turnover. I mean, you get the ball turnover, that's why makes an interception. When you're punting that ball and you're in the end zone punting it, they, they're normally going to take the ball over about the 40-yard line. I mean, you know, 40. 45-yard line, so that has the same effect as a turnover for your offense. So getting a chance to punt it out of there and giving your coverage team a chance to get down and at least have them on the other 30- to 40-yard line I think makes a big difference. Yeah, it was a good coaching call, and, and you, you like seeing it. We've all made that call, and it was clearly the right call to make. And as typical, had they then gone the length of the field and scored that <laughs> touchdown, people would be hooting and hollering, going, boy, what a dumb thing he did, and how could you give up points that way? But, uh, but he did the right thing, and obviously it yielded the, the win. When you cheer somebody getting knocked out, I don't care who it is, and it just so happened to be Matt Castleton, it's sickening. It's 100% sickening. And I've never, ever, and I've been in some rough times on some rough teams, I've never been more embarrassed in my life to play football than in that moment. Uh, one final thing before we go. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the Chiefs are hurting right now. Uh, our, our friend Romeo Cronell, the Wolves are at the door. They're after the GM, Pioli, uh, the quarterback, Castle, the, the fans there are all over Castle. And something came up. Um, Chiefs offensive lineman Eric Winston kind of went on a verbal tirade with the media about how sickening it was to hear. He, his intimation was that the fans had booed Castle when he got hurt, right. uh, which is very disturbing. We've been that before. I've been in a stadium where, where the, the, the quarterback in, in Cleveland when Tim Couch got hurt. Uh, and and it was serious ankle injury, and the fans cheered when he got hurt. The home fans did. My own Kyle, Kyle Bowler, you know, the fans get so – it turns into a mob mentality. It doesn't take right. much. And all of a sudden now to, to, to cheer a guy being hurt. He took offense to it. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, and then what do you do as a coach now 
to deal with your team that obviously feels very raw and, and tender right now? Well, I think anytime you're not doing well, the players, you know, they, they don't want to necessarily strike back, but it's so far it's been one-sided, which means the fans think everybody stinks. The fans are all over you, and rarely do you get a chance to have some say. And this was a case where, you know, Matt Castle was laying flat out on the ground. As soon as he got up to kind of get helped off the field, they start cheering. Some of the fans said, hey, we were cheering because Brady Quinn was going in the game. Some of the fans, I think, said, hey, we're cheering because we want to. That's what we pay our nickel for. And so I think that's the case. Now, you know, what, what of course, happens is that, you know, Romeo got the interim job last year and became the full-time head coach. Romeo kept his defensive coordinator role. That's what he had when he was the assistant coach. That's the role he kept when he was the interim coach. That's the role that he has kept as the head coach. Scott Pioli uh, is the guy that that, uh, that hired uh, the previous head coach, and then he's also the guy that made the decision as a general manager, you know, that Romeo Cornell would be the head coach now. So the, the fans have decided not only are we kind of mad at Matt Castle, and they were mad at Romeo Cannell, and now we're also even mad at Scapioli over this 16-game period of time. And so I think now the only one they're not mad at is, of course, the backup quarterback. Right. They of all course. love the backup quarterback, and then he comes. The question is now, is Matt Castle going to be able to play this week? He's got to go through that barrage of tests that we talked about with RG3 to make sure he can play. And then number two, uh, even if he could play, should he play? Is now the time to make the commitment and go with the the all-favorable backup quarterback? And I, I think a lot depends on uh, on practice time. I think it's easy for Romeo to say, hey, look, we, we, you know, Matt Castle didn't get enough practice time. We're not going to play him this week. Uh, we didn't get the okay. I don't know how long it takes. It might be like the Thursday before he can even get the okay that he can play. Well, and like you said, it could be you could orchestrate it as an opportunity to now play Brady Quinn, and maybe he does well. The problem is if he doesn't, then, okay, you were responsible for bringing in Matt Castle, (coughs) Scott Pioli. Well, you're also responsible for bringing in Brady Quinn. So we're way ahead of, and regrettably, as we get on in the season, we're going to start talking about coaches under fire and guys getting fired. And we've talked about it being a general manager's league, and now the bullseye goes to them. So we're a little ahead of the curve on this. But this likely is a team, the way they're playing now, that – they, they're going to be the team we're going to be talking about in a, not too long a time from now as to what's going to happen. Are, is the coach going to stay on? What does Scott Pioli do with Romeo Cornell, who is clearly his guy? What happens with Scott Pioli? Does management have to step in? Uh, it, it can be an ugly scenario, but right now it just it's hard to see Kansas City getting any better. Right, and, you know, they, they go to Tampa, so this is a chance for them. Now, if they put Brady Quinn in, it, he'd be less pressure psychological on the road than at home. So if there was a time that you wanted to say, okay, let's let's kind of hold Matt out a little bit. He's not really ready to go. He hasn't got the practice time. Let's put Brady Quinn in. We're going to Tampa. Tampa's a team that was just, just an okay record. They're hanging in there, not not playing necessarily great football, not having themselves in a the position with the with the new, you know, coaching staff. So I think that this would be the game where you can go on the road and say, Hey, we've got a team that's one and three. And let's beat that one and three team. 
Yeah, and they've got to buy after that. And they're running the ball well. Kansas, right. And I, I would say right, that. Boy, against the Ravens the, team, I've not seen those kind of yards the, run against hey, the Ravens well, they team do, in they a have long a great, time. They have a great run, in my opinion, great run-blocking schemes, and they're able to get to, get to the linebackers, you know, and uh, and it looks good. So I, I don't think it all's lost, but they do need a win. Yeah, and they've got to buy the week after Tampa Bay. So obviously, particularly if it doesn't go well in Tampa, that might be the time then to to – what do we do here? Do we make the change at quarterback? Does Romeo say, look, I'm going to turn over the defensive coordinator duties to somebody to focus more on the head coaching duties? You know, clearly that can be where the fans, if nothing else, look for, okay, what are you going to do in this bye period for us to get better to make us want to come out? That's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast. You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Of course, I want to hear from you. You can tweet me at Coach Billick. want to hear what you want Denny and I to talk about. Also, be sure to catch the Coaches Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening.